the first Sunday of the month, and we take communion. And uh, it's always obviously very special as the body of Christ if you're a believer here today in this house that you have. Uh, it's beautiful, all the spiritual rights and uh, obligations to this and what Christ obligated himself to when he died on the cross for our sins and uh, provide the healing that everyone of us need. And Jesus had spoke to his disciples and he says, when you take these things, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's something that we remember. Um, it's very front of mind for us of what the cross did for each and every one of us. And um, the next step for you to be is to open these cups up. That's the next step. That always is, right? Today the message is about God using our weaknesses for strength. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, was the weakest person on the face of the planet. His body ripped and torn, and yet his spirit was the strongest it could ever be. We hear him declare the very words that it is finished. And I want you to know today with the cross of Christ in your life, no matter what your weakness is, no matter what the infirmity is, no matter what the situation is, that by his stripes, you and I are healed. And the cross of Calvary, he finished it for us. He didn't have to do any additional work after that. The work was complete. So when we take this and remembering Christ, we remember this, and we declare to God, God, thank you that it is finished in my life, that I am complete, that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, and I'm, I'm a new believer in Christ. Shall we partake together? Of the blood, above the blood and the body of Christ. Father God, we thank you today for all that you do in our lives. And we just pray that you continue to minister to that girl there. God, as you're, as you're blessing her and the paramedics are there with her, and God, you are the great physician. And God, you take care of us and you take care of all of our needs according to your riches and your glory. And God, I thank you that you declare on Calvary that it is finished. And that God, knowing full well what you were set out to do, that you would die for the sins of man so that we can have the forgiveness of sins. We receive that today and we remember that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, well, we've got. Uh, should we try this part two of, of all the all of the Richardson clan here? Shall we do that, Cindy? Do you want to click back on that picture here? We can do that again. I do want to want to uh, pray for you guys and bless. Are the kids are downstairs already? Oh my gosh! Um, let's do it at the end, if you don't mind. We'll switch that up. Oh my goodness! I am so sorry. I was telling you guys, they, you, they got family. He's a 911. You're in charge of the 911 dispatch, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? No. So I said, you guys came on the right Sunday here. So thank you guys um, for being here and uh, being a part of our service. But I want to talk today about God turning our strengths into weaknesses. And if you want to turn real quick in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Folks, just so everyone knows too, I don't. Uh, this message, if we needed to 
to put the kibosh on this, I would if we didn't feel like she was okay. And so I want us to, you know, keep moving on that. So she, uh, we'll move ahead in that. But uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign Armies. I think it's amazing. It says their weaknesses were turned to strength. Now turn real quick back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, where we're going to read the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath is not just a cute tale that we tell our children, but it is an actual event in history. And it's important for us to know that because I think sometimes like Noah's flood and those cute stories, we look at them and they almost become like nursery rhymes as opposed to real events where God used men and women of faith to conquer the enemy. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, many of us may know the story. I'm not going to read all of it. But David was out tending to his sheep. And there was a huge giant... Goliath, the champion, who would come out every day on the battlefield, and he would mock the people of Israel, and he would say, you send out your best against me, and the children of Israel would all run in fear. And every day it would go through that routine where he would mock the children of Israel, the people of God, and every day they would all run back in fear. I want you to know, everyone, if you could raise your hand today if you've got a weakness. Does anybody have a weakness in this place today? So we all have weaknesses. What's your weakness right now, and what are you bad at? What are you embarrassed over, and what has brought you that sense of defeat? Could it be right now that God is turning your weakness into strength, and that he will turn that weakness into the very weapon that you will use to defeat the enemy? God will make you strong in battle, and he will put the whole armies of the enemy to flight. You think about that for a moment, your greatest weakness, what you're dealing with right now, what you don't want to talk about anymore, everything that there is there that you say, I'm really embarrassed about this, and I don't want to talk about it even more. It just becomes something that is so debilitating for your life. I think it's important for us to find our hope in the Lord. I read this by a writer the other night. It said this, maybe our souls surprise us. But they don't surprise God. He isn't shocked or scandalized by the up and down tendencies of our hearts. He isn't embarrassed just because of our feelings get out of hand. Anybody have your feelings got out of hand? He sees the craziness and the chaos and it doesn't bother him a bit. He knows us better than anyone and he loves us more than anyone. If God designed the human soul, then it's only logical that he would know how to fix it when it's out of alignment. Yet sometimes we are embarrassed by our emotions and so freaked out by our feelings that we avoid the ones who knows our soul the best. So we try to fix ourselves on our own. But the results are usually underwhelming because it's surprisingly hard to feel better just because we want to. It's difficult for our souls to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, whatever bootstraps are, because emotions are so complicated and even subversive. The problem with discouragement is that discouragement never leads to encouragement. Have you noticed that? Discouragement leads to more discouragement. We are down because we are down. We feel sad about how sad we are. We can't believe that we got so frustrated over a scone 
or a golf game or Aunt Viv, and the revelation of our immaturity depresses us even more, and the whole thing self-perpetuates. Isn't that so true with our life when we start getting into despondency and we're discouraged? You can never get discouraged and have that discouragement somehow just flip on. It's really important for us to understand. David goes to the camp and he starts talking to people. He had to bring some food into the battlefield. His dad said, hey, go send this in to your brother. So he starts talking to people. He said, well, what's going on? Well, here's what's going on. This guy comes out and it's, it's Goliath and they're talking about how big and bad of a beast this Goliath is. And David's going, now wait a minute, guys, we can take this guy out. Well, the, his brothers get word of it and he said, listen, David, you're, you're nothing. Go back and take care of those little sheep. How many have had somebody try to encourage someone and everyone just throws them out the door, kind of? Don't try encouraging me. I'm discouraged. <laughs> I need some more discouragement. If you come with discouragement, that's great. I want some more bad news. How many enjoy a lot of good bad news, bad news around here? Good bad news. Does that make sense? It's the usual taunt. Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the armies of Israel. Every one of us in this room has been taunted in our minds by the devil, haven't you? Every one of us has heard that rhetoric and heard that taunt over and over again. It's trash talk. I used to love it. I used to love watching Michael Jordan growing up, and they say, man, he was the biggest trash talker in the world. But you know who was a bigger trash talker than Michael Jordan? It was Larry Bird. Man, when Jordan first got into the league, they would play against each other, and the taunting would start, and you almost knew when you would play against the Celtics that the Celtics would destroy you. And so Jordan comes out and starts playing, and now he starts taunting. One of the best Places in time I'll never forget is against the Kembe Matumbo. I'm going to talk about basketball for a minute. <laughs> Jordan gets up to the free throw line and he closes his eyes. He says, Dikembe, I'm going to close my eyes on this free throw. He says, no, you're not. And he goes, and he shoots it, closes his eyes. He goes, hey, Matumbo, welcome to the NBA. <laughs> I love that. Taunts are good. And you know the problem with our Christian faith is, is we let the enemy taunt us. But we don't taunt the enemy. We let the enemy tell us who, we, who he thinks we are. We allow the enemy to enter into our thought life and tell us how much of a loser we are and how much of a failure we are. But how many, love, how many of you would love to speak to the devil and tell him where to go and how to get there? I challenge you to taunt the enemy. See, many of us are scared to taunt the enemy because we feel defeated. And David comes in there without any training, without any abilities, so to speak, on the battlefield. And he says, we can take this guy out. He's defying the very armies of God. You see, when the enemy comes into your camp and into your home, he is on territory he's not supposed to be. See, we think that when the enemy comes in there, he's like, he gets to be in there and everything. But how many know we have the ability to tear down strongholds? We have the ability to put our foot on the neck of the enemy. And the battlefield, it was the most humbling position and humiliating spot to put your foot on the enemy's neck. And that's the position of the church this day right now. David starts going through the camp. 
His brother gets mad. Go back to your few little sheep you've got. What are you even doing here, David? He mocks him. David doesn't take that, and you don't have to take it either. David's like, fine. Maybe you've been moved back into the shadows, and the bullies and the taunters have taken over. My son told me a story this week. It was pretty funny. He said, Dad, I was at school. This ninth grader was teasing this eighth grader. They were going back and forth in them. And the eighth grader says, do it again. Do it again. Ninth grader did it. And the eighth grader gave him a haymaker. Right there in the lobby. He said, Dad, I saw that. I said, good for the eighth grader. <laughs> Told my kids at dinner. I said, sometimes a hit in the nose is better than a detention slip. It's a better teachable moment. Because that bully will stop taunting. And see, we in the church, we don't like that. We don't want to fight. We don't want to be aggressive. And yet the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And that when we wrestle, that means we're engaged and we're entwined in something. Folks, I want you to think about this in a moment, that the next time the enemy attacks you, that he might just think second, because you might give him a haymaker and say, don't do it again. Don't do it again. You all know the story, and it's the holiday season almost, right? Tonight we can start singing Christmas music. She's my Christmas music lady. We were watching Elf the other night. I think Anne watched it three times with the kids. But I'll never forget the Christmas story when that bully would bully those kids, and little Ralphie had enough. When are you going to have enough of the taunts? When do you have enough? When do you stir it up? Now you can, you can be a believer today and you don't have to... Maybe that, that was really aggressive for you to hear that. You say, man, pastor's advocating violence. No, no I'm not. I'm, I'm advocating a really good punch to the nose. That's all I'm advocating. <laughs> That's all I'm advocating. Don't pick fights. I'm not telling you to do that. That's not even what I'm saying. But be a person that says, do it again. You've lost hope maybe today. And all these Israelites in the battlefield, they lost hope every day they'd come out. It was funny, why were they even lining up? I would love to know the battle plan for Saul in that moment. Saul sitting in his tent, nothing he could do. He has no control of his army, no control of his battlefield. He's the leader and he's supposed to be stepping out and trying to make and win this battle. And yet David, this little shepherd boy, comes in there and he tells Saul what he's going to do and how we could do this. How do you short-circuit the deep discouragement? You've lost hope. Proverbs teaches us this about hope. If you've got lost hope, your heart grows sick. And all of us have had those sick moments in our life. Judah Smith writes, I've been a pastor and speaker for almost two decades now. I can recall how many times I've sat down in a college dude at a coffee house somewhere in Seattle or L.A., and the first thing out of their mouth was, well, I just feel. And I would share a scripture or a thought, and he would respond, but Judah, I feel. Feelings are the language of the day, he goes on to write. And telling someone that what they feel might be incorrect is a cardinal sin in our society. Think about this for a moment. What you might be feeling right now might be wrong about the situation you're in. Have you ever thought about that? I was dealing with a couple years ago, and the wife 
had told me, Steve, I just don't have that feeling anymore. And I said, what is this, grade school? Where you circle yes if you like me? And no, if you don't, is that what we base this on? Man, how many people feel like going to work on Monday morning? You go to work. So here's what you do. You go to work on your marriage. You might not feel it. I just don't feel it, Pastor. Sorry. But sometimes your feelings are going to be a little different than what your faith will be. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now that the Word of God for your life circumstantially might not be the same as how you're feeling about things. But I feel discouraged. But I feel hopeless. I understand you feel discouraged. And you feel hopeless. And you feel, but that's not who you are. You might feel like there's no victory. You might not feel like you can make it till tomorrow. But you can Turn to someone and say, yes, you can. Yes. Turn to someone and say, start talking some trash. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's beautiful when you engage the battle. It's beautiful when you have a chip on your shoulder and the spiritual realm, not cockiness or pride. I'm not talking about selfish pride. I am talking about you are a champion today, spiritually speaking. God didn't die on the cross and die naked for you to walk around the way you're walking around. He didn't do that. He didn't go through all the shame. He didn't take on every problem you'd ever face. He didn't do every situation and looking at your life past, present, and future and say, Oh, that's a loser. I can't believe I died for that person. No, sir. There was an old Christian song on the radio, and it was actually very cutting edge. And he said, there's a storm on the horizon. Oh, let the winds blow. And I sat there. He's like, wait, he's calling the storm on, bringing the storm? Folks, I am telling you what he was saying is he realized in that moment that there was going to be a battle to bring it. I am going into that. Jesus, when he went into the storm and he was asleep at the bottom of that boat, you know what I believe, and I would like to talk to Christ about this when I get to heaven, is he was really upset the fellows woke him up when he went across the lake. He was really upset. Guys, I'm sleeping here. What are you doing? I can't even get any sleep. And they're like, but we're dying. Who said you were dying? If Jesus was concerned, he would have been at the bow of the boat with his captain's hat on going, go, row, 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 fellas, over here, over here, the shore's this away. He wasn't doing that. He was sawing logs. He was sleeping. Some of us would go through our situations in life and it's pandemonium. God, you're supposed to be as worried as me. Are you worrying God? Not at all. Not at all. He's not worried. He's not worried. 1 Samuel 17, 28 says, But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing anyway? He demanded. What about these few sheep you're supposed to take care of? Do you know what's interesting? Recent... Research has shown that human beings are irrational. 
I know. I know. Human beings are irrational. It says, according to these researchers, we make definitive moral decisions impulsively, impulsively and irrationally, and then spend an inordinate amount of time defending those impulsive, irrational decisions. So we're impulsive and irrational with our thinking, so we go and make irrational, impulsive changes. I always tell people, they're making life-changing decisions, and they haven't even gone to people with wisdom to ask them about their problem and what they should do. We're impulsive because our feelings have dictated over faith. And again, I'm a feelings person. Let me tell you right now. There's nothing wrong with feelings and emotion. What I'm saying is we have subjugated ourselves too much to the feelings of it and we haven't placed it and the faith and the value of Christ's word in proposition to what's going on in our life. Irrationality. And then we spend an inordinate amount of time after we've made the dumb decision. Turn somewhere and say, I've made some dumb decisions. Then, we spend an inordinate amount of time defending that dumb decision. As opposed to humbly saying, I challenge you, if you're in the middle of a fight or a process or a situation for your life, I just challenge you right now, and you've done something that's... Anybody ever done anything irrational? Man, I challenge you this week, if you're irrational with someone this week, go up to them and say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for being irrational about that? Don't raise your hand. When was the last time you asked someone to forgive you? Because we're all right. We're all right, right, all the time. You know, you want to clean air real fast. You want to clear the air. And again, get out of the defense mode. You can tell me all day long, because we've all been in these fights. Well, this person did this to me, and so I've got these things, so they're going to have to clean their mess up too. You let God take care of them. You take care of you so that you don't become irrational and irresponsible with your feelings-oriented decisions in your life. Judith, Judith Smith goes on to write, We make decisions based on feelings and we call them facts. Why? Because they feel true, right? They, we're all there. Those feelings feel true. These are my real feelings, says the logic. So whatever belief or idea these feelings are attached to also must be true. It feels true to me. So this is my truth. And you had better not tell me it's fiction, because that would be to deny the validity and authority of my feelings. Do you see how feelings-oriented you are? My truth, I call it the Oprah gospel, it's my truth, your personal truth, where you are, that's your truth, you follow that, and you've based it on nothing more than attaching it to your feelings. And I feel this way, so I have a right to this. Man, we have a right to nothing. Let's look what the writer does. And I love about Psalms. I love the prophets because they didn't hide their emotion. David didn't. The writer of Psalms had lamenting that went on and had really deep questions about life. Turn real quick to Psalm 42. I want you to know how feelings-oriented the scripture is. Because it's really easy for us to get into our Christian doctrinal talk of Jesus is Lord and I love him and I follow him all the days of my life. I'm like, that's great. Have you ever had a bad day? That's great. And we think that the prophets were perfect. There are saints. Moses was a saint. All these guys were saints. I think in some ways we need to take them out of our stained glass. Now these are the fathers of the faith and we need to put them back down in the real world because they had some real junk they were dealing with. 
God uses real people. God doesn't use superpowered people. He uses people like you and me that go out there and do the things of God, the halls of faith, these people that did stuff. Now remember, you look at the David before, David the shepherd David. Now you look forward and see all the feeling stuff. Remember, David had some feelings for that Bathsheba girl. Now we have a David whose feelings oriented in the future of his life. And now he's looking out on the things and he says, yeah, I want that girl. He was feelings oriented. He was now taken over by the passions of his life. I want you to know that you can deal irrationally sometimes in your life. But here's what those feelings will cause you to do. When you have feelings strike up and emotions strike up in your life, what you need to do is say, Pastor, what do I do with that? Say, Lord, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know what's, what's going on in my heart, but I just give this to you and I ask you, God, to look deep in my life and deal with those feelings and emotions that are wrong and not in line with your word. See, as opposed to always validating yourself, allow Christ to strike those things and take those things out of your life. One of the most powerful scriptures, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11. As the deer pants for the stream of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When I can go and meet with you, God, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizmer, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love at night, His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go around mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. There's that word taunt. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. How do you break the hopeless cycle? How do you break it? Because at some point, we just got to start stop talking about problems. They just self-perpetuate themselves. You have to put your hope in God. Trust Him. Don't put your hope in treasures. Don't put your hope in relationships. Don't put your hope in homes. Don't put your hope in jobs. Put your hope in Judas Smith goes on to write this. He says, either your life is meaningless and your existence doesn't matter or God is the only hope that you have. So you can't live in some middle zone where you kind of use God for a crutch over here and then you kind of are self-empowered and you do your thing that way because at some point in your life that self-empowerment stops to work because you're a frail individual to begin with. You were born in trespasses and sin, so you have issues and problems that even you can't solve yourself. So even your life is meaningless. Everything on this, we're just blobs. We came in on a primordial soup. We were an evolutionary project. We came from some monkey. We're either that. So life doesn't matter. Or we are have infinite value because we are created in the image of God. And you can believe however you want. 
And you can subjugate yourself to say, well, life's meaningless, I have no purpose. Or you can choose right now to grab onto a new emotion and a new possibility saying that my life has purpose even in all the mess I'm facing. See, what Christianity does, the Western Gospel has said, is once you accept Christ as your Savior, your life will become a bed of roses and life will be grand and everyone will be smiling here. Let me propose this to you. When you become a Christian, you will now go into some of the greatest battles that you have ever faced. So facing that giant, it kind of goes to either the flight or fight mentality. Hope in God it develops a persistence. 1 Samuel 17 32 through 34, David now is in the tent with Saul. See, here's the cool thing. When you start to talk about those things and that faith that's growing in you, God will place you before men and women of faith who can get you to where you need to go. So all of a sudden, now David is standing before Saul, and he's saying, Saul, we can, we can take this guy. Who is this guy? And Saul's like, here's what Saul says basically in Steve Black translation. There is no way that you can take Goliath, David. No way. How many have had no way people in your life who have raised hands? But you've had some people say to you, no way. David persisted. I think where we need to get back to is that persistent widow effect in Scripture where you seek and you knock and you ask. You seek, you knock, and you ask. We need to get back to the place in our faith where we almost sound annoying in our talk. With the things that we're going after and the things that we're seeking God for. But David persisted, verse 34 says. David said, listen, here was David's logic. Okay? David's logic was this. Saul, I've taken out a bear and I've taken out a lion. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's good street cred there. I mean, if someone came up to me and says, I've defeated a bear and a lion, I'm like, you, whatever you need. You're, you're crazy. And this wasn't like he had a machine gun, folks. He didn't kill the bear and lion with a long-range rifle. David said, listen, I took out a bear and a lion. I can do this to this foolish Philistine. One reason we don't persist is because we believe that we have already failed. I love this story by Max Lucado. He writes this. Farmer Jones sensed trouble in the trellis. His grape givers groaned, leaves drooped, Vines dragged, listless loganberries sighed in chorus. The farmer listened for a time and decided to do what grape growers have done since the beginning of the writing of this chapter. He talked to his crop. A boss to branch chat was in order. He set a stool between the rolls, pulled off his straw hat, took a seat and invited, okay guys, why the bloom? This is not the wine I had in mind. At first no one spoke. Finally a slender uh, tendril opened up. I just can't do it anymore, he blurted. I squeeze and push, but the grapes won't come. Leaves bounced as other branches, not in agreement. I can't even get a raisin to pop out, one confessed. Call me Cluster Baron, shouted another. Forgive me for being sappy, offered one more, but I am one more burdened branch. I'm so tired, my bark is barking. Farmer Jones shook his head inside. No wonder you guys are unhappy. You're trying to do what you can't do and forgetting to do what you were made to do. Stop forcing fruit. Your job is to hang on to the vine, to keep connected to the trunk. Get a grip, you'll be amazed by what you produce. See, a lot of us have been trying, 
And we get discouraged because we try and we fail and we fail. And the Farmer Jones effect, now that was a stupid little story, but the Farmer Jones effect is like, listen, you guys are trying to do things you were never meant to do. I love this quote here. It says, for every Goliath, there's a stone. And I really believe that for all of us. When God puts you in things, you say, man, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And people use that horrible phrase that says, God will only give you what you can handle. Only give you enough that you can handle. I go, no, stop. He's going to give you more than you can handle. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's going to give you things that you couldn't even do on your own. Who needs to get the glory, us or God? So many times in our life, we want to get the glory for the things and the power that God gives you to overcome those things is only because of His grace and His glory for your life. Folks, I want to challenge you this to get the hope back and to break off that cycle is you're going to have to start thinking differently. Philippians 4, verse 8. Let's turn there real quick. And now I'm going to get really annoying. You've all heard the thing of stinking thinking, right? In every part of our life, at work, at home, you can find a good number of things that are wrong. You can find things you don't like. You can find things that need fixing. You can find things that aren't the way they're supposed to be. But Philippians 4 verse 8, I love this verse, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you think about you fixing your thoughts. If you're going to have your feelings match your thoughts, feelings obviously have everything to do with your thought life. And so what I challenge you to do this week is to think about things that are praiseworthy. Think about some good stuff. You know, I told you before about breaking that cycle and developing holy habits of all the news media and all this stuff and Facebook and all those social things, but maybe it'd be a good time for you to start fixing your thoughts on some really good, beautiful things that are happening. I hear testimonies coming in from people. Um, I was talking to Clay, and he's like, Steve, you know what I did today? And I go, you went to a pancake breakfast. No, try again. I go, you went to Disneyland. He goes, that's good, but no. He said, I went and passed out 1,400 Bibles in Cook County Jail today. I said, way to go. It was amazing how guys would come to them and they just preach the gospel. Just guys would come and say, how much are these Bibles? And they'd say, no, they're free. Just take them. And they passed out 1,400 Bibles to these men in, in Cook County Jail. And I said, boy, that's good stuff. Do you know when you want to fix your thoughts on things, you're going to have to start fixing your body on doing some good things. Maybe start serving and getting involved with things in your life that are outside of, of the realm of what you're comfortable with. And I know for Clay and these guys, they were this was not a place that they normally hang around at Cook County Jail. But I know that the Spirit of God overcame them and it did wonderful things. Start developing a persistence in your thought life. Not only will you find victory for yourself, but you will think victorious thoughts for others. Have you ever heard someone pray sometimes when someone's going through a really tough time? It almost sounds like when they're praying for those people, they're going through a funeral with them kind of thing. It's like, man, I want people, when they're praying for me, to be energized and say, man, pour hope into that. Let's do things. Let's go after that. I challenge us to have prophetic prayers so that we can actually have like future-minded ideas for people. And we should start to pray as things should be, not just as things are. 
Set your mind on things above, Colossians 3.2 says. Number three, and lastly, is this. David became brave. When you hope in God, you're going to become brave again because God's going to have you enter a battlefield that he intends for you to win. I can't go in. I'm not used to these things. Saul had told him, okay, fine, you can do this. Go into battle. So he starts handing him armor. Here, wear my helmet. Wear my belt. Wear all this stuff. Oh, my, my coat of arms. Wear all these things. And David says this. He goes, I can't wear this stuff. I haven't trained with it. And what we have a tendency to do in the church is we tell people how to do this and how to deal with that problem. And we have opinions on this and opinions for that. Folks, I really want to be the type of pastor I can come alongside of you as a person but I don't give you all the answers to what life is because I, I don't have that. It's way above my pay grade. So many times in our life, we go into battle and we say, here, use this because this worked for me. But how many of you know that situation worked for you might not work for that person? I can't go into these using this. I've never trained with them. Fight your fights the way you know how. David had a beautiful thing. He understood that the past battles... That he had victory over with. If God gave him victory in those things, why couldn't God give him victory in the future now? You think about in your life and those memorials that you set up where you had victory in your life. You need to grab the feelings and the thoughts and the motivations you had from that victory. I don't care if you only had one victory. Use it. And take that and build the momentum on it so you can go into that fight and say, you know what, I have been trained in this. I can beat this guy because if I beat the bear and the lion, I can take this fool out. You might say, Pastor, this battle is different. This is a unique one. This is a big one. And I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. It is unique. You've never been in it before. But God's going to give you the weapons to defeat the enemy in that and have victory. Sandra, if you wanted to come up and start playing... For every devil you face, I really believe this, that God has a solution for that. David went down the stream and he grabs five smooth stones and he put them in the shepherd's bag. He had a shepherd's bag, folks. You know, I was thinking that shepherd's bag, what we in the church would have done is we're like, we'll make an armored cool one with some kind of like simplify slogan on the side of it. This is a shepherd's bag. Nothing special about it. But God gave him the weapons and those stones to take that enemy down. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. Isn't that pretty amazing? Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? Today here in this house, maybe you've lost hope in the situation you're facing. And first and foremost, with everybody here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't today, He offers friendship and hope and a future for your life. Forgiveness so that you don't have to live in fear and condemnation and worry that all the past in your life can be thrown out and that you can start anew and start fresh in your life. Today you say, man, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to invite Him into my heart. Today, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you raise your hand so we can pray with you today, if that's you. Is there anyone? 
today, maybe you've lost hope. And maybe your talk and your feelings, whatever it may be, you've completely found a place in your life of complete hopelessness and discouragement. And the discouragement has only grown more discouragement. And you say today, I need to fix my thoughts on Christ once again, the hope and the future and tomorrow that God has for my life. And you say, I need that right now. And I am stepping out into that and I'm going to become persistent again in those things so I can be brave in the battlefield. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. There is hope and a future. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for all you're doing in my life. Forgive me, Lord, for my thoughts and my attitudes. I today am choosing to fix my thoughts on you. I'm choosing today to lift up my head and to make a declaration of victory in my home and in my life. And through that victory, it will affect those around me and it will cause change. In Jesus' name. We're going to have a special little thing now. I think we're going to go get them. I hope someone went downstairs. Are they got perk on her? Okay, so she's getting them. Yes. So um, we had a, it was a beautiful, beautiful Friday. And Cindy, you come up here first. I'll, I'll let you come up here first. You need to come up here. I'll talk with you. You don't want to come up there. It's okay. <laughs> so um, let's give it up for Cindy real quick. So. This is a very special lady, and it's an honor for uh, us to have her here. And uh, it's been a crazy, crazy few months for you. And uh, you're a hero. And uh, so I just think it's really, really special what you're doing for those two little girls. And uh, do we? Yeah, there they are. So it was so cute because uh, Friday when they were. Uh, when we came came to the courtroom and did all that, yeah, she was the one that made me laugh. It was really great. You guys can all come up now if you want. Is she okay? Is she coming? Okay. Oh, look at that. You made that. Did you put your stones in there? Yeah, see, she's going to go to battle. See? You know, I didn't have time to thank the church. You guys have supported me so much. And there's no words to express what my church has done for me and my family and my husband and now my daughter. So I want to thank you because, and that's just not enough. So I want to thank all of you for praying for me and my children and my husband and sending you guys cards. It's, it's just not, I can't write the words. No more 
So, really cute. What was the one thing Mia said on Friday? She, was it Mia or Isabella that wanted the pink ice cream? Oh, Isabella. That was so funny. So that's that's how what a what a joy the simple things uh, for these little girls. And uh, you know, Cindy, the one thing that I felt I was talking to Romero uh, on Friday was that you have a spirit like Sarah. And uh, you're not as old as Sarah. But, uh, I feel it. <laughs> she, you know, Sarah, I, I thought of that for, for Abraham and Sarah because she wasn't planning this. This event was not planned, and it was definitely a surprise. But it's really neat how the Lord uh, brings all this together. And uh, what a special 